You're listening to The Jen and Don Show. The news you need to know. Now, here's Jen and Don on AM590. The answer. It took a little longer than we thought, but we did it. I've heard, Connor, the job you're running for is the House of Representatives. So if you get down there, do the job. Do the job. Okay, I will. Mission accepted. That is Democrat Connor Lamb as he declared victory early Wednesday in Pennsylvania's special House election that was officially too close to call. All indications are that Connor Lamb will probably eke this out as the last votes are being counted. But uh, this will not be made official until the end of the week. And I wouldn't be surprised, Don, if the Republican uh, challenger, the other candidate in this race, Rick Saccone, might go the legal route looking for a recount because Pennsylvania doesn't do them automatically, even when it's it's this close. I I am not sure if the, he's going to find anybody that's willing to invest in that. This is a special election. There will be another election for this district in November. So trying to you know, find anybody that might be interested in investing in a recount at this point, it might be a little tough. But there are plenty of things to take away from and observe about this particular election and the strategies and impact this has overall in the midterms across the country. Yeah, it seems uh, it seems that a lot of the talking heads on cable news were looking at this as a bellwether, right? Republicans wanted to prove that the Trump effect was still going strong in Pennsylvania, and Democrats wanted to say that the blue wave was getting ready to sweep the state. I never looked at this one. I don't look at a lot of these races as a bellwether. I think we're in a very unpredictable time in politics, and waves turn rather quickly. And uh, I think with this particular race, it's important to look at the candidates. And Connor Lamb was a young candidate. I think he's 32, 33 years old. He's a former Marine, a federal prosecutor. He started early defining who he was during this campaign. He got the union support behind him, which the Republican who vacated the seat had. He was working with the unions. Rick Saccone, the Republican challenger, was not a friend of the unions. And in blue-collar areas like this county, Allegheny, County south of Pittsburgh, those relationships really matter. And I really think that's what tipped the scales for Connor Lamb. He's a more moderate Democrat. If any lesson was to be learned from this race, Don, for me, it's it's a it's a note to the Democratic Party saying instead of going with these Fruit Loops who are so far off on the left, you have greater success when you run a moderate who is very much aligned with President Trump when it comes to tariffs and and tax reform and the Second Amendment. Well, if this is supposed to be if this election this particular election, as many of the others that are going to unfold across the United States, are to be interpreted as a referendum on Trump's performance, it needs to be noted that both of these candidates in the Pennsylvania 18 ran as Trump acolytes. And there's a reason that the Democrats aren't really throwing gigantic parties today. In fact, the mainstream media is approaching this entire election and this entire story in a very sort of cautionary uh, stance because they did this candidate uh, Connor Lamb did not espouse the ideas and the agenda of Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton or even the left. This guy was right on the same page as Donald Trump. Connor Lamb ran as a Trump Republican 
I think, believe it or not, he's a Marine. He as you said, he's a Marine, an ex-prosecutor. And during the campaign, he even said he was pro-gun. He was for the tax cuts. He was even in favor of tariffs. And he said he thought Pelosi should go. So if this is an example of who the Democrats are going to put up. Sign me up. I know, right? <laughs> this this is saying that the Democrats are, are starting to become aware that they are becoming the party of the lunatic fringe. And so, but I'm not sure if this guy is going to be representative of who they're going to be uh, putting uh, in in these roles. So this is not a blowout by any stretch of the imagination. It's not the blowout the Democrats want. It's not the blowout the media wants because they did not put somebody up that represents the core values of the Democratic Party. This yeah. guy was running on Trump. I don't think that this is actually a lesson that the Democratic Party will learn. It's one that they should learn, but it's one that they probably won't. They're still going to go with these uh, these far left candidates that seem to be dominating the day. Another mistake, and, and when we look at these elections, I think it's important for us to look at what worked and what didn't work, is that Rick Saccone was out fundraised. He lost, Connor Lamb outspent him and brought in more money than Rick Saccone. The RNC got involved with this at the last minute and poured a bunch of money into the campaign for Rick Saccone as far as television and radio advertising went, but it was almost uh, a little bit too late at that point. And when they did do this advertising, they tried to connect Connor Lamb to Nancy Pelosi. And I'm not sure that that was the best strategy when you had Connor Lamb, who looks like this, uh, you know, cover model, basically. He's he's uh, got these charming, boyish good looks, and he's, he's presented himself very well during uh, all of this campaign. And then they're trying to connect him to Nancy Pelosi. And I think the voters were like, well, we don't hear Nancy Pelosi when we hear Connor Lamb. And uh, I think that was maybe a lesson. You should have maybe spent the money building up your candidate, Rick Saccone, as opposed to trying to connect Nancy Pelosi to someone who gave no indication that he wanted to be connected to Nancy Pelosi. Well, there's a Democrat that's in the Senate that this guy sounds an awful lot like. And his name is Joe Manchin. And he talks like a Republican, but when he's actually got to be pressed into a corner to vote, yeah, he votes. With he the Democrats. votes a lot of times with Chuck Schumer. So this is going to be interesting to see if there's any votes that will come up because if he's a Democrat and if he's caucusing with Democrats, is he going to toe the line of? You know, Nancy Pelosi, who's the minority leader, is he going to fall in line with them? And this is what tends to this is why we get we get uh, we have problems with Republicans who, you know, talk a great game about the Constitution and inalienable rights. And then all of a sudden they go back to Washington and they forget all that stuff and they start drinking from the Kool-Aid from the swamp. If this guy is a Democrat and he's right now pretending to be like Trump, what's he going to do when he ends up in Washington and push comes to shove on his votes? This is a guy you got to watch how he votes in this election because it's going to be run rerun in November and will he have the albatross of his votes hanging about his neck um, if he has to vote with and vote on behalf of the Democratic Party and follow leader Pelosi into some of these uh, squishy areas the Democratic Party yeah. loves to find itself in. I'm under no grand illusion. I I've, I assume he will vote, obviously, with the Democrats. I don't see uh, a 33-year-old who represents a, con- a congressional district in, in Pittsburgh or in Pennsylvania standing up to some of the Democratic leadership, especially when he's in an area that's going to be redistricted and uh, he may be out a lot. 
luck uh, just as soon as he became in luck on election night well, the redistricting, in Pennsylvania. The redistricting won't take effect until 2020. Next, oh, I thought it was next year. So it's no, 2020. It's I thought it was the presidential election. It's every 10 years when they do gotcha. the census. But it, it is a point to take into account because this district was redistricted by Republicans. And now uh, potentially it's going to be redistricted by Democrats to keep this safe for them. What it seems to be going towards. All right. Uh, also, some personnel changes at the White House. We've been covering this. A lot of the critics, the mainstream news media, have been calling it chaos at the White House with all of these people coming in and, and going out. I think it's President Trump getting his new team in order as he's getting more comfortable and settled into his role of president. Now, Gary Cohn left the White House. He made the announcement he would be resigning last week after President Trump went in the direction of tariffs. That wasn't necessarily uh, Gary Cohn's jam, if you will. And uh, so he decided he would resign. He may be back. Even uh, some insiders are saying he might even replace uh, General John Kelly when his time as chief of staff is done. To fill his position, however, as economic advisor to the president, uh, the president and uh, Sarah Sanders confirmed that Larry Kudlow, you know him from CNBC, will be accepting the job of key White House National Economic Council director. I wonder if he's going to be able to keep his radio talk show. He's got a live Saturday talk show from think 10 so. to 1. Maybe there's a time slot there that's opening up that we could Special uh, extension order by the president, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he's got an extensive career in finance. Um, he worked for the Federal Reserve Bank. He he was associated with the uh, Reagan uh, administration for a while. So there's a lot of background that this guy brings to the table. And he, I think, Jennifer, he tends to be a little bit more conservative, a lot less a globalist than Gary Cohn. So I'm liking this pick. He is definitely a free trader, though, and so it'll be interesting to see how he falls into line or doesn't with President Trump. I think this is one of the misconceptions that people paint uh, about President Trump, and that is that he wants to fill his cabinet and his staff with yes men or yes women. And I don't think that that's the case. I think you would have seen a different pick, a different pick from this president if that were the case for economic advisor, because he will butt heads with Larry Kudlow. They are not sharing these same common uh, common values and goals necessarily. But I think Kudlow, he respects and uh, and and definitely I think his conservatism will be welcomed in that position. Well, even a day earlier before announcing the pick, he hinted at it by saying this. We don't agree on everything. But in this case, I think that's good. I want to have a divergent opinion. We agree on most things, but not everything. So that kind of confirms that what you're saying, that they're not going to see eye to eye on everything. But I think the sign of a good leader is having someone who has a solid background in a particular area. In this case, it's going to be corporate finance, uh, fiscal responsibility, but will not be afraid to speak their mind when there's a, like Trump said, divergent opinion. That's right. Speaking of divergent opinions, an update on some staffing news we heard uh, on the last Jen and Don show, and that is that Mike Pompeo, the CIA director, will replace Secretary of State Rex Tillerson pending Senate confirmation. Uh, Gina Haspel will take Mike Pompeo's place as head of the CIA. Rand Paul, senator from Kentucky, came out on Wednesday saying he will vote to oppose both of these because of their stance on terrorism, of course, not necessarily on terrorism, but on uh, definite torture and methods of collecting information from terror suspects. We'll talk about that more. Plus, big national walkout day at schools across the country. It's the Jen and Don Show on AM 590, The Answer.
back to the Jen and Don Show. Now, here's Jen and Don. Get out those calendars because we have a big event coming your way. In fact, it is our biggest event of the year here at AM590, The Answer. It's the fifth annual Unite IE Conservative Conference for 2018. It's a midterm battleground talkers tour, and it's coming to Riverside. Don, this is going to be a big one. Are you ready for this? I am. Larry Elder, Hugh Hewitt, special VIP luncheon speaker dr sebastian gorka and candidate for governor assemblyman travis allen by the way more names are being added to this list it's only going to get bigger it's only going to get better this is sunday april the 8th it starts at 11 30 a.m at the riverside convention center and we're very close to securing adam schiff for the bobo tank Ah. So warm up your arms, your softball arms, He's because my nemesis. I know well, I would love, wouldn't it be fun to have somebody like Adam Schiff in the Bobo tank so that people, when they're entering the Riverside Convention Center, they could, they could just uh, throw a couple softballs at the uh, little, made uh, in Russia, ta- at the little course. target. <laughs> yeah, th- no, this is exciting. And honestly, this is an opportunity for you because elections are won or lost. I mean, you know, we just talked about an election in Pennsylvania that literally swung on on hundreds of votes. So when people tell me that their uh, that their vote doesn't count, I can I can point to elections across the country and in California where it boiled down to literally hundreds of votes. So elections, you know, your vote does matter, your voice does matter, and getting involved can be the most effective way for you to to impact the outcome on the midterms that are happening this year. Very important for California because Jennifer, we we, we the, the Democrats lost their supermajority because they couldn't keep their um, who's in check. Yeah, that's it. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> I was looking for a polite way to say that they couldn't keep their libidos in check. So now they've lost the supermajority. But you know what? There are elections happening right here in the Inland Empire, Jennifer, that could determine whether or not the Democrats regain that supermajority and their ability for two years to send whatever laws, whatever taxes they want in our direction. We've seen the impact of that with the gas tax, with cap and trade and a number of others. Let's make sure that that we send those people and their extremist you know ideologies packing get out to the April 8th event connect with the groups around the inland empire that can help to turn the tide on this on California cuz it's doable Jennifer it is doable, and we just need to make sure we all stay active and we all get out there and vote. You're right. Our vote does count. Look at Pennsylvania. It came down to just over 500 or just about 600 votes. That's incredibly close. We can do the same thing. And politics is local, Don. we got to start here all at home. before. Right. That's right. Before we uh, we can make change nationally. So make sure you come out and join us. It's going to be a lot. Join us. It's going to be lots of fun. Easy for me to say. AM590theanswer.com. am 590 info. You can buy your tickets right now. They are reasonably priced. You can do individual seats. You can buy VIP seating or even buy a table for 8 am 590info Just click on the banner there. It is the United IE Conservative Conference Sunday, April 8th at the Riverside Convention Center. Now, let's jump back into the news. Uh, the 14th of March was one month to the day of the Parkland, Florida shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. That's where Nicholas Cruz 
murdered 17 students and faculty members on Valentine's Day, February 14th, to pay tribute to those victims and uh, also make a political statement about gun control. Kids across the nation walked out of their classroom at 10 a.m. They stayed out of their classrooms for 17 minutes, a minute for each victim. And uh, lots was made about this. A lot of media attention. This was pretty touching, actually. In some cases, schools really did put the focus on victims. They released doves or white balloons, 17 of them, to pay tribute to the people that lost their lives in other places. Things got pretty political, Don. Not only did they get political, but they also got violent up in Stockton. There were groups of high school students that hurled rocks, took advantage of the opportunity to go out and express their freedom of speech rights in a, in a, in a very derogatory way. There were people who, as you said, uh, used the opportunity to acknowledge the uh, tragedy in a way that remembers the victims. But, of course, the bigger issue at you know, it, that this all represents is an organized effort to essentially push back on the Second Amendment and our rights to protect ourselves, our families against, you know, intruders and against a tyrannical government, which I know the left loves to laugh at that. But the reality is that is the reason why we have our Second Amendment. Yeah. And they're the ones that are calling Trump a dictator. So uh, if you're going to exactly <laughs> right, you think it's not that far off, they're the ones actually perpetrating this message. That's a great point, because if they're if they're adamant that Hitler, that, that Trump is a Hitler or a Mussolini, they're the ones that should be making sure the they arm Concerned. Up. Right. So vote. You know, the bottom line is about all this, though, Jennifer, is that memberships in both the NRA and other gun rights groups have been surging since the left decided to use this tragedy as a platform for their anti-gun uh, narrative. Well, let's talk about some of those students involved. Uh, Parkland, Florida student David Hogg, who has been getting lots of media attention. He has been uh, all over as part of this conversation, and uh, we've learned a lot about him. His dad works for, uh, I think his dad was an FBI agent. His mom worked for CNN. And uh, David Hogg talked about this polling that uh, it was said showed millennials are more conservative on guns, and he disagreed. One thing I think is important to remember about those polls is conservative students and conservative people of the millennial generation are typically a lot more politically active. So the polls may be biased in that way because many students that have more liberal views may just not partake in them. So there may be a skew in the polls that way. Um, Time out here, David. Are you telling me that students that lean to the left, where the left is usually all about political activism, don't participate in polls? I call Ixnay on your argument about the way that these things turned out because if anybody participates in polls, it's going to be activists on the left. All right, we'll continue on now. Another student in Washington, D.C. talked about gun control, and we've heard this line before. It's uh, it, these students wanting less thoughts and prayers and more action on guns. We're really just asking them to support the fact that we need more gun control. We need to keep our students safe in schools. That's what we're after here. What comes after today? What happens after today, the one-month anniversary of the shooting in Parkland? We're asking for action. We're asking for less words. We're asking for less, honestly, what my sign says. We're asking for less prayers, fewer prayers, fewer words, and more action. That's what we're asking for them. Thanks. Thank you so much. Fewer prayers and more action. Holly, as this crowd is approaching Capitol Hill. 
What's really sad, Jennifer, is that most of these kids have absolutely no idea of the sequence of events that fell into place that resulted in this tragedy in Parkland. If they want action, what they should be doing is asking for the action of the sheriff's department in Parkland who didn't report the way that they should have their 39 calls. The FBI didn't take action when they got the call. There are so many failures. The school itself failed, and this entire um, um, umbrella program of the Promise program that should have been dismantled because this what was supposed to end the what they call the the school to prison pipeline actually served to shelter this particular individual from law enforcement, a law enforcement agency that would have otherwise reported him and denied him the ability to buy a gun. Yeah, I think that there are so many productive conversations to have. And I'm not angry at most of these kids who took part in this walkout, even though I think that these events were organized by adults. I think that it's important to show kids about the process and that peaceful protest in most cases is a good thing in this country. But I hope that the conversation comes to things that are Constitute that don't affect our constitutional rights as responsible gun owners in this country. That would be mental illness and also tightening security on, on school campuses. That's something today that you can do that doesn't touch on politics and doesn't get bogged down by all the political messaging. So that would be my hope with all of this uh, that comes out of all of this. Yeah, and speaking of which, already we have lawmakers in Sacramento that are doing the gut and amend on bills, taking bills that were written in one language for one purpose and gutting them and now want to tax the sale of ammunition and guns in order to fund school safety. So watch for that to come down the pike. More up ahead, it is the Jen and Don Show on AM 590, The Answer. Who do you trust with your real estate financing? We all get our money the same place. We all have the same basic programs. The question is, who has the knowledge and more importantly, the integrity to advise you with your best interests in mind? Hi, this is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender, and host of the main event, heard Saturdays and Sundays, right here on 590 The Answer. For over 20 years, Wholesale Capital has been putting your interests first. What would I advise you if you were my brother or my sister, my mom and dad, or my son and daughter? If you're in the market for a new home to live in, a vacation home, or an investment property, if you need to refinance, or if you're a senior that's considering that wonderful financing tool known as a reverse mortgage, and you want the comfort of knowing that you're talking to a company that you can trust to look out for your best interest on one of the largest transactions you'll ever make in your life, Call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. Day or night, area code 855-640-2020. And listen to my show, The Main Event, Saturdays at 9.30 a.m. and 9 o'clock p.m. and Sundays at 4 o'clock, right here on AM 590, The Answer. You're listening to The Jen and Don Show. It is midterm madness here on The Jen and Don Show, and we are so pleased to have with us in studio Chief Dave Brown. He is running for sheriff of Riverside County, and we call him Chief not sheriff yet. That might be to come. We call him chief because he's a former chief of police. He served at law enforcement here in the Inland Empire for more than 30 years. Uh, chief Dave Brown, welcome into the Jen and Don Show. Thanks for coming in today. Jen, thank you both for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. It is great to have you here. You're former law enforcement. You were 30 years as the, uh, as a, not as the chief of police, but 30 years with Hemet. 
30 years in law enforcement in California, law enforcement. the last 25 in the city of Hemet, the great city of Hemet. Awesome. So what inspired you uh, for this run? You're you're re- retired now. You, you said in the last year you took some time. You've been with your family. What was the catalyst to get you to jump in and run for sheriff of Riverside County? Well, after a 30-year career in law enforcement, um, part you of me... could be on vacation yes, somewhere. Yes, <laughs> part of me said it's time to take a break. It's time to uh, uh, go on vacation, enjoy my kids. Uh, but really, in the last four or five years um, as a police chief um, here in the county, um, watching the sheriff um, and his uh, department, unfortunately, become um, severely understaffed. And uh, that began to affect the community that I worked in, and certainly all the communities in Riverside County. And at the end of my career, um, I did make the decision that it's time to do something about it. Now, you are the, you've got a lifetime of uh, service in law enforcement as a sworn officer, and now you're running for the chief law enforcement officer in the county, uh, which is a constitutional office, sheriff of Riverside County. There are three total, including you, people running for this office. And I have been trying to learn uh, what uh, is at the bottom uh, of what appears to be a department that is in a little bit of a state of confusion. Um, and getting to that truth is mm-hmm. is proving to be slightly difficult. So can you address what it is that sort of the current status of Riverside County, what the challenges are that you see in the county and why you're running for that office? Sure, Don. Actually, that's that's really at the root of why I've decided to run is the reality is the Riverside County Sheriff's Department is, is in turmoil. Uh, there is a public safety crisis in this county and no one knows about it. And the reason no one knows about it is the sheriff is the spokesperson for the department. Um, as I began to realize that those things were affecting my community and others uh, within the county, um, I began to realize I'm any, probably uniquely qualified and uh, prepared to do the job and to change the organization. There's a culture of fear and intimidation that's been reported to me by uh, lifetime friends and colleagues within the organization. And as a police chief, um, I had the pleasure of hiring uh, a dozen experienced deputy sheriffs from the department, and each one of those uh, individuals uh, expressed to me a real concern for the department um, and the culture within the department that's really driving uh, employees away rather than attracting the great employees that they are. Can we dig deeper on that? Because uh, I, I think it's important here for people to understand uh, what types of, uh, of things are you hearing about the culture? What seems to be failing within the department? Well, first of all, uh, Jen, the, the reality is in any county, the county sheriff's department is usually seen as the destination department. Um, it's where people want to work and where people uh, can thrive. There's so many opportunities. And so when the opposite starts to begin in a county um, and deputy sheriffs begin to leave and really employees of all ranks begin to leave the organization either for other departments in the county or for early retirements, um, it screams of a problem. Um, and the types of things that um, that have been reported to us is just a culture that does not uh, show appreciation for, does not empower, does not train or equip the, the officers and the deputies um, in the way that, that uh, I think law enforcement ought to be treated. Now, there are approximately 2,000 sworn deputies within Riverside County. That's correct. As I understand it. the uh, There's normally attrition within departments that have thousands of employees. So are you saying that what we're what, what Riverside County is experiencing in its sheriff's department is above and beyond what would be considered to be normal attrition and if there if it is what do you attribute that to Right absolutely 
absolutely. There's a, there's a crisis. There's a staffing crisis within the organization that the sheriff himself talks about. I think the, the question is what's causing it. Um, the sheriff has hundreds of funded vacancies within his department that he cannot fill because of the culture and the reputation of the department has been soured. Um, what that means is you have extremely talented, and I want to say this before we go any further, that department, the sheriff's department in Riverside County, is filled with the, some of the most talented, um, well-educated, um, uh, exceptional law enforcement officers in the state of California. Um, the problem is they're not being appreciated for their work uh, by their by their boss. They're not being uh, equipped to do their work. And um, they certainly are not um, being promoted and, and recognized based on talent. Um, in the sheriff's department, what, what, uh, what we've come to find out is that um, appreciation and, uh, and, and promotion comes from uh, loyalty to the sheriff and nothing else. And that's really got to stop. Now, uh, we are speaking with Chief Dave Brown. He is running for Sheriff of Riverside County. And you've done a a good job here, Dave, telling us about some of the issues facing uh, the Sheriff's Department in Riverside. If you are elected, if you if you win your election and you go in there, how do you start attracting people back to that department, the department that you described as a bit chaotic and already suffering? How do you get that high caliber of talent back into the county? Well, I'll tell you what I've done in in, uh, my former department and what works in in uh, really in any any uh, business. My undergraduate degree is in the behavioral sciences, and I have a master's degree at a specific university in organizational leadership. And much of my study was on job satisfaction and appreciation. And it's no secret, and it's really not rocket science, uh, that all we want in our jobs, all we want in our employment, is to be appreciated and recognized and, um, and equipped to do our job. And what's happening in the sheriff's department is that, that that's not the case. Um, and so just a change in that office uh, by a leader who's got a proven record, uh, track record, of loving and appreciating his people. And I'm not afraid as a cop, <laughs> as especially as a law enforcement leader, to say, I love the people that work for me. Mm-hmm. If there's any profession in this country that I think we ought to be outside of, outside of our United States military, that I think we ought to be loving and appreciating on a daily basis, it's our law enforcement. I'm with you on that. And that's what I'll bring back to the Sheriff's Department. Now, one of the important roles of... Any law enforcement agency is to find the bad guys and lock them up. And there's a little bit of a headwind we have here in California with this uh, sort of what's become a catch and release system of dealing with the bad guys. You've got AB 109 uh, and then props 57 and 47 that uh, you're dealing with in combination with the district attorney's office. What is the current status of our ability to lock up and keep people in jail? And I've heard that the Riverside County invested in a new jail, uh, one that apparently can hold 1,600 people uh, based on it, the way it was built, probably more when it comes right down to it and actually using it. Um, but I also understand that facility is not actually staffed or housing prisoners. So can you address both of those? Absolutely. So first of all, in that conversation – the reality is that this sheriff, since 2012, has reported himself that he's released 40,000 prisoners from his county jail early before their sentences were, were uh, finished. What that means is there were 40,000 dangerous criminals released into our communities who are committing crime and terrorizing Over our Over what time period is that? Over tw- since 2012. Okay. Now, there's no, there's no doubt that Prop uh, 47 and Prop 57, and certainly AB 109, um, affected every county in the state. The issue in Riverside County is the Board of Supervisors did something about it. They built a 1,600-jail-bed facility in the city of Indio. When was that built? 
It's it's just going to be completed at the end of the summer. The first phase will be completed at the end of the summer. Okay. $340 million spent to date. And the sheriff Wait, recently- $340 million spent on a, wow. an apartment building right. for 1,600 people? Right. And they're very intricate. I mean- <laughs> I'm with you, Jennifer. Wow. Unbelievable. So wow. what that tells us is this is a state-of-the-art facility. This facility is built to house 1,600 of those prisoners. I think Don and I want to move in. Not right. the hard way, maybe. That's right. <laughs> And and with that, get facility, your meals brought to you. <laughs> have with, bedtime stories read. With that facility being completed in a in a in a county that has a severely undersized jail system, having the county sheriff step forward and and report to us citizens that he has no plan to open that facility when it's completed is absolutely unacceptable. Um, he 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 will blame the board of supervisors. He'll blame Sacramento. He'll even blame his own deputies. Um, before he takes any responsibility for the fact that that facility has got to be opened on time and we've got to open those 1,600 jail beds. I will do that. Now, I understand it's because there's no money. They they allocated the money. The Board of Supervisors of the county allocated the money to build it, but did not allocate the money to staff it. So hmm. whose fault is that? So that's, that's, that's the story we're hearing from the sheriff. Okay. The reality is in law enforcement throughout the country, we have had to figure out ways to work – uh, to, to keep our community safe with less money. It's just a reality of the 21st century. This sheriff has found it convenient because he is a constitutionally elected officer and he, he does not work for the Board of Supervisors. He's found it convenient to blame the Board of Supervisors for his unwillingness to implement state-of-the-art um, 21st century deployment strategies and technologies. That department should be leading the county in terms of technology and the sheriff's department is playing catch up to the rest of the county uh, to the rest of the county's police departments in the in the area of technology. The other way we'll do it is we'll take deputies who are in positions that don't require a deputy sheriff. There are positions all throughout his his organization that don't require a badge and a gun in an academy and we will we will put those people back on the street where they can keep our communities safe and we'll replace them at about half the money with civilian correctional deputies who are just as talented, who are just as motivated, and just as capable of working in our jails. Now, we'll always have to have a certain percentage of sworn deputies in the jail. The jail populations become much more violent after AB 109. Um, But the reality is that ratio needs to change, and we need to put deputy sheriffs back out on the street and replace them with uh, civilian correctional deputies, and we can cut the cost of running that jail and staffing that jail. Really good information there. Chief Dave Brown is running for sheriff of Riverside County. You can find him online, brownforsheriff.org. Chief, uh, you, we've talked about some of the internal risks or internal challenges that the sheriff's department is having. Externally, what is in the community the biggest challenge for deputies in Riverside County? And uh, what are you going to be able to do as, as sheriff to make that easier for them out in the field? Absolutely. I'm very concerned about our deputy sheriffs on the front line. They're working at staffing levels uh, lower than they've ever been in the history of the county. Um, we, have, we have one particular station that the county sheriff uh, is, has decided to staff with two deputy sheriffs in spite of the fact that they're covering 680 square miles, about 125,000 people. And there are two deputy sheriffs on duty today covering that entire area. That is absolutely unacceptable and unsafe for our frontline deputy sheriffs, and we will fix that. There is, uh, you, 
Attorney General Jeff Sessions just came to California. Uh, he's put the focus on gangs, MS-13, and California, I think, has had the highest number of MS-13 members arrested uh, and dealt with. Um, we have gangs in throughout Riverside County, no doubt. Some of them may be members of MS-13, but also lesser uh, types of concerns and gangs. Um, w- tell us about the gang, you know, what is being done to deal with the gang issue in Riverside County under the current plan is it adequate and how would you address that under if you're elected yeah don this is another part of the story that we're not being told again because the sheriff is trying to tell the story the reality in riverside county is we have in place one of the one of the most effective gang enforcement strategies in the country we have a nine a, a eight region gang task force that involves every agency in the county including uh all of our federal partners the california highway patrol um, and the probation department. It's a fantastic model for for, for policing. I had the uh, pleasure and a, a privilege early in my career to help start that unit. What the sheriff has done, again, blaming the Board of Supervisors, has begun to pull his resources from the countywide gang task force. Absolutely unacceptable and absolutely unsafe for our communities. And as he begins to do that, the district attorney has stepped in with a gang impact team that uh, the Hemet Police Department under my, uh, under my administration joined early on. And that has essentially become um, one of the most um, one of the most successful gang enforcement um, units in the history of the county. That that what that does is it brings in uh, our federal partners uh, to include the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security, ICE, and Border Patrol, um, and the District Attorney um, to to work all together under the same roof. And we're very, very proud of the fact that we've got an operation going right now in the Hemet San Jacinto Valley called Operation Valley Vigilance. We had the first takedown that occurred several months ago. It took 77 illegal assault weapons off the street um, and arrested a number of, of uh, violent gang members, um, prosecuted them both state and federal uh, uh, violations. Chief Dave Brown, you are just a wealth of information, and we so appreciate it. Thank you, by the way, for your 30 years of service to our community, and uh, good luck to you. Yes. Uh, Chief Chief Dave Brown running for Sheriff of Riverside County. You can follow him online, brownforsheriff.org. You can also follow him on Twitter, Dave Brown for Riverside County Sheriff. We'll connect all of that on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Jen and Doncha. You can keep up with the chief events, get involved with the campaign and the like. And you are always welcome back here as we get closer to Election Day. Thanks so much, Chief Dave Brown. More up ahead, it is the Jen and Don Show on AM 590, The Answer. Welcome back to the Jen and Don Show. Now, here's Jen and Don. Hillary Clinton still crying and the Democrats are not too happy about it, Don. Apparently, Democrats are angry that Hillary Clinton continues to discuss what went wrong during the 2016 presidential election against President Trump. You know, she wrote the book. What happened? Even though some of Clinton's, uh, even some of Clinton's own former aides and surrogates have even come out against Hillary Clinton, saying she needs to quiet down and stop making excuses for her failed campaign. I think the funny part about this story is the venue she chose to make some of these comments, because I guess she's run out of places in America to sell her book. So where does she go? 
India. Why not go to India? <laughs> now, so, and, and can she get full retail in India? I mean, aren't those people poverty stricken? But they are, but it keeps them busy to read. What happened? <laughs> Apparently. I guess. I guess. So, and do they really even care? Well, uh, that's a good question. During a conference in India this past weekend, Hillary Clinton called states that supported her in the election more economically advanced than the states that backed Trump. And she made a controversial, controversial remark, Don, that I take issue with when she blames men and uh, I guess, uh, gosh, more uh, big figures in a woman's life for women that voted for Trump. I can't even I can't even say it how she set the stage for this. You've got to listen to it yourself. Here's Hillary blaming pressure from men on why women voted for Trump. Check it we out. We do not do well with white men, and we don't do well with married white women. Um, and part of that is a an identification with the Republican Party uh, and a, uh, a a sort of ongoing pressure uh, to uh, vote the way that your husband, your boss, uh, your son, whoever uh, believes you should. I, you know, identity I know, politics at its finest. Jennifer. I, this absolutely infuriates me because, as the resident white woman on the show, I'd like to speak to Hillary Clinton and let her know that it was actually my influence that got all the important men in my life to vote for President Donald Trump. So I think her theory is a little askew, at least in my case, because it was not them pressuring me; it was actually me pressuring them, and I don't regret it for a minute. Today. But you don't. You don't exist jennifer your, right. your reality you. doesn't matter in the life sometimes i feel like that <laughs> <laughs> your reality is non-existent in the life of a progressive what's interesting also is on this trip to india while visiting a, a particular ancient city hillary slipped twice walking down steps i saw that despite the fact that the men that she just got done criticizing were holding her up so when she likes to criticize men on the one hand for influencing the women, she they, better be careful because it was they two make men. Good crutches. Yeah, it was two men that were holding her up as she slipped. And as it turns out, I guess she also broke her hand in the process. Ooh, all right. More from Hillary Clinton. She's in India suggesting Americans supported Trump because racism. His whole campaign, Make America Great Again, was looking backwards. You know, you didn't like black people getting rights. You don't like women, you know, getting jobs. You don't want it, you know, see that Indian American succeeding more than you are. Whatever your problem is, I'm going to solve it. Yeah, so according to Hillary, the patriarchy followed every woman into the voting booth with a gun to their heads in order to make sure that they voted for Trump. This is about as absurd as it gets, Jennifer. You know, blaming race and blaming the patriarchy for your loss. I think she's officially now out of excuses. Well, I, I hope that's the case because people are getting angry, including her former campaign manager from 2008, who said Democrats are going to have to distance themselves from Hillary. This, this was bad. 
you know, I can't, I can't sugarcoat it. Uh, she was wrong, and clearly, it's not helpful uh, to Democrats uh, going into the midterms, and certainly not going into 2020. She's put herself in a position where uh, Democrats are going to have to distance themselves from these remarks and distance themselves from her, particularly those Democrats that uh, are running in the states that Donald Trump won, like Ohio and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan. She's annoying me. She's annoying everyone, as far as I can tell, said another 2016 Clinton surrogate. Who lets her say these things? Well, I don't think she has anybody governing that. But to the to this uh, campaign aides point, they the Democrats now have a model to follow. Yeah, I think that's right. All right. That's going to do it for us. Thanks so much for listening. It's been the Jen and Don show on AM 590. The answer.